An amen is the right, the right response, I think. Um, it's, a, it's a different experience to sit and sing the songs right before a sermon when I know what the sermon says. Like, well, I know what's coming. And, and DJ, he and I talk sometimes. You know, he asks, you know, what, what's the sermon about? And I give him a pretty, you know, vague overview. And he goes and he picks songs based on that for the, for the service that build around that. And I got to tell you, sitting there just now listening, um, he couldn't have picked two better songs to lead into this morning. And it's, it's quite an experience to hear that. And to know how beautifully that, that sets us up. So DJ, praise team, thank you all for, for leading us uh, in, that, in that this morning. I, I kind of want to just sit down and let those songs be, be it, uh, which I know would make some of you incredibly happy. Um, but we won't, we won't do that. Um, happy 2017. Welcome to, welcome to a new year. Uh, for some, I know that that's a, that's a welcome change going into a, a new year. For others, 2016 was a, a year of great blessing. I know 2017 will be as, uh, as well. Um, I think it's really kind of cool when every few years we get this opportunity to come together on that very first day of the year and worship. That's, a, that's, a, that's an incredible way to start our, our year, right? To, to claim right here at the outset, on the literal first day of the year, who our hope and our faith is in. Uh, the song we sang, two songs back, Jesus. That just kind of says it plainly, right? That's, that's what we claim today. And there's no better time to do it. I know this is a day like any other day for, for a lot of people, but... What I think is really cool is that people all over the world right now at this time are talking about, you know, renewal and commitment and recommitment and hope and second chances and do-overs. And for us of faith who, who believe in Jesus Christ, that's right in our wheelhouse. That's gospel territory. This is the kind of time we need to be excited about. To be able to use those words, last year I think we talked about those re-words, you know, re- reconciliation, or redemption. There, there's so many wonderful things that we can talk about that tie directly to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And I know, um, I, I, I haven't asked the leadership of the church, I know, I can, I can, uh, I could kind of speak on, on the behalf of the staff and uh, the elders and, and say this over you. We have a, an incredible hope. We are prayerful that, that 2017 will be a year full of opportunities for this church to grow spiritually, to grow deeper in faith. And, and we have a prayerful expectation uh, for each one of you, each and every one of you, that this will be a year full of opportunities for you to draw closer to God and to dive deeper into his mission, into what he's doing in the world. And we're excited to see that. And we're also very prayerful about families. That's something very important to us here, especially kids. 
We're prayerful about what's, what God is going to do in and through the families of this congregation and our community this year. And we're, we're excited to see what happens there. We have, we have things planned that you'll find out about here as we, uh, as we go through um, the, the coming months uh, to help strengthen us. Uh, strengthen our our families here and to help especially parents who are raising kids, uh, trying as hard as they can to raise kids who come to love and follow Jesus Christ. And we want to play as big a part in that as we possibly can as a church. We want to bless that. And we've been doing that for a while here, and we've used um, a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6 for several years now uh, that I, I... I keep coming back to. It's become one of my favorites because of the time we've spent on it here. And I want us to, to start the year off by, by reading uh, that again. If you have your Bibles, you have a, a, a device, pull that up. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I want us to hear these words. Uh, this is, these are the words of Moses. And, and Moses is talking to the Israelites, God's people. Really, in a lot of ways, God is speaking through Moses. The, the Israelites have come out of Egypt. God saved them out of slavery. He's brought them through a wilderness um, time in the desert where they've had to learn to trust him whether they liked it or not. And, and he brought them through this whole time with this hope rattling in their hearts and their heads that at the end of this, he had promised them a land of their own and that's where they were going. And so finally, they're standing on the edge of this land that they've been promised and they don't know quite what to make of it. It's a little daunting because there's people already living in the land. So how do we, how do we take that? And, and God knows that when they go into this land, it is going to be incredibly tempting for them to forget who he is and what he's done. There's going to be that many distractions. And so through Moses, he begins to prepare them. That's the whole book of Deuteronomy. He prepares them for living in this land with as many distractions as you could possibly think of. How to stay grounded in him and in relationship with him and how to, how to have your families continue that on. And so in Deuteronomy 6, he says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. So this is his preparation. And he tells them, here's, here's what I want you to know. I want you to remember who your God is, and I want you to pass that down what he's told you to do, I want you to pass that down to your kids. And we want to take that seriously. 
And so here at the, at the beginning of the new year, we want to take a couple of weeks. It's going be a two-week sermon series called Milestones. I'm going to preach this week. Corey will uh, be back in town next week, and he'll preach. And basically what we want to do in this series is, is just talk about, uh, remind ourselves what that looks like. What it looks like to, to grow, not only as individuals, but as families, and to instill faith in future generations. Now, next week, we'll get pretty specific about some things um, that, that we're going to be doing in our children's ministry that we're excited about and things that you can do at home as well. Today, I really just want to lay a, a framework out for ways of thinking about our growth and how that happens, how we grow spiritually. And I know I start talking about families and kids, and there's a lot of you who don't have kids or don't have kids at home anymore, uh, who've, who've gone through all that and are kind of past it, who kind of say, okay, I can check out now, right? No, you can't check out. Sorry, I, I, don't, I don't give that easy a card, right? What, what I hope to do today is to say some things that, while I'm going to use the examples of, of how we use these in our families, that really um, these apply to all of us. These are principles and ideas that apply to all of us. And they, they come from reflection on Deuteronomy 6, but also other places in Scripture. And we'll look at some places in Colossians uh, today and kind of track how Paul does a very similar thing as, as Moses does. Um, this is a framework for how growth happens. This is not a step-by-step foolproof plan for growing spiritually. Okay? I want you to hear that from the outset. Here's why. Here's a truth that we have to wrestle with. You cannot micromanage the spiritual growth of your children any more than you can micromanage your own spiritual growth. And we have tried over and over and over and over again to micromanage our own growth, to force that to happen. This is about the time we do it. Right This time of year where we say, okay, here's the plan that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my growth happen. Here's exactly the steps I'm going to take until sometime next week and I forget. Right? This, is, this is where that plan kicks into gear a lot of times. And we run into frustration because we fail and it becomes very often a, a, a method of kind of sin management. And we try to push through it, but we keep hitting all these obstacles and this frustration and it just doesn't work and we kind of give it up. Well, the same thing happens with kids, right? You try to force these kind of things on kids, and you're going to run into problems time and time again. Um, so so that, that's not what this is. However, I do think we have some responsibilities, right? We do have responsibilities, just like Deuteronomy 6 says, to create places, spaces in our lives where God's Spirit can work to help us grow. We create places for that to happen. We create openness. And so what I want to offer is kind of three ways uh, to do that. And so there's no guesswork. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say them here on the, on the front end. Um, the first of these is know and tell your story. We'll talk about what that means in a minute. The second is focus on what's important to God. And the third is order your life around those important things. Okay, so let's, let's, let's start with, uh, with know and tell your story. Um, I talk with a lot of, lot of couples, um, many of whom are, are going through marital problems. 
And when they come in, I'll talk with one of them, you know, in particular, and they'll be telling me about things that are going on in their marriage that are, that are problematic. And usually it kind of starts with the problems, right? And, and you hear these things, and I stop them pretty quick because I want to hear other stuff first. And so I stop them, and, and I just ask, especially if I don't know them well, hey, tell me your story. Tell me your story as a couple. How did you come to know each other? What is it that you love about your spouse? Because based on the answer to that question, I'm going to figure out real quick how committed they are to actually making this relationship work. Because if we want to overcome uh, the obstacles and relationships that we find, it it comes from this, this deep desire to help that relationship grow because we love the other person. And the same is true of our relationship with Jesus. When people come and say, I, I want to grow spiritually and I don't know how, I ask them, tell me how you fell in love with Jesus to begin with. I may not say it like that every time. Tell me your story. What's your spiritual journey? What, is, what has Christ done in your life? Because I want to hear them. I want to hear them tell their story of what, what Christ has, has done uh, to redeem and forgive and love them. I want to hear it because uh, it, it's, it's great for them to tell it. It strengthens that in them, but it inspires me. It draws me back to my own story. And we have to know those stories. Those things are, are absolutely vital. It was vital to the Israelites. That's why Moses gets up and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord's your God, the Lord is one, which is code. Okay, it's become kind of a shorthand for the whole story of God in Israel. And he says in the words, hey, remember the promises made to, uh, to the, your fathers, Abraham, Isaac? You, you remember those promises? You remember that God brought you out of Egypt? He reminds them of their story. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget what God has done in your life. It's vital that you keep that story in front of you. Paul thought the same thing uh, for, uh, for the churches that he was part of founding in the New Testament. And so, so much of the, the New Testament we have is, uh, is letters written from Paul to churches that he helped found where he's basically saying, hey, remember your story. Remember what Jesus has done for you. So this morning I want us to hear one, one big chunk from uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians. We'll start in, in chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And it will be up on the, on the screen as well. There's a, a lot here. And basically what he's doing in this is he's writing to, to people who, again, have a lot of distractions. People who could turn away from the faith and from their, uh, their devotion to Christ at any moment. Because there's so many things trying to pull their attention away. And he's trying to to draw them back by telling them their story. Telling them what what God has done through Jesus Christ in their lives. And and when we listen to it today, I don't want to hear it just as the Colossians story, okay? I want us to hear it. This is our story. This is what Jesus has done for us. One fifteen. The Son, 
Jesus, the Son of God. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that everything he might have the supremacy. I want you to think back two songs before this sermon. The words of that song, Jesus, describing the, the, the majesty and the wonder of what, what Christ has done. Very reminiscent of this, right? These words that he's saying here. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he's reconciled to you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity of God lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the story that we want to claim at the beginning of a new year. This is our story. Uh, several weeks ago, I was talking to a, a woman who worships here with us, and we were here in the, the auditorium right before service, and we were talking about this idea, this fact that so many of us at different times struggle to know how to tell our story, to know how to even answer the question, what is it I love about Jesus? For whatever reason, we, we struggle with that, talking personally about, about what uh, what Jesus has done for us. And as I talked to her, and, and she, she agreed that she knew that that was true at certain times, but it wasn't true for her right then. Because as we talked, she got more and more animated, and she started telling me her story. It bubbled out of her. She started telling me why she was so thankful for who Jesus Christ was, what, what the ways that he had forgiven and redeemed her, and how she, everything she was was because of Jesus Christ. In tears by the end of the conversation. Which I'm not great in those moments, by the way. I'm not super comfortable with all that, you know. It's just one-on-one -on -one conversation. She's bubbling over with this beautiful, beautiful story. 
and I couldn't contain it. It, it stirred something in my heart and my soul that, man, I want to talk like that about Jesus because I believe that too. I believe that Jesus Christ has rescued me from, from cycles of self-righteousness and judgmentalism and selfishness and pride that I could go into great detail about, but I'm probably not going to this morning. I believe that he, he has done so much to create in me a clean heart that can then reach out to other people who need the love and the care of Jesus Christ. And to hear her tell her story, it, it inspired me. And as I walked away, I had a renewed commitment to my own story with Jesus. And I knew how vital that was. I know we want our kids to love Jesus. If we want our kids to love Jesus, they have to see us love him first. And they have to know why we love him. And I know those aren't the easiest conversations in the world, especially for us guys. We're not great at having those kind of conversations. So here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to sabotage you. I know I've got some kids in here. Kids, listen up. My kids are in here too, so I'm giving them permission as well. Kids, I want you sometime this week to ask mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or somebody else, some adult that you trust and love that you know is a Christian, I want you to ask them what it is they love about Jesus Christ. Why do they love him? And don't let them back out of the conversation, all right? No easy answers here. Force them. Make them answer you. You're welcome, parents. I've got a little girl right there who I know is going to do that. Uh, I know she'll ask me that if she was listening at all. Um, uh, It's that important. It's that vital that we tell we tell those stories. Let's move on. I'm going to move quickly through these, these other two here. Uh, focus on what's most important to God. Let's go back to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul continues what he's saying to them, and he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We know this idea, right? If we want to pass something on to other people, if we want them to learn from us, we, we have to have some idea what we want them to learn, number one. And if we want to grow, we, just, we have to know. What are the most important things? What are the things that are most important to God? Because as, as Paul says in Colossians, what we find is that our way of thinking, our, our worldly way of thinking, doesn't match up with the way God thinks. And so, so we have this, uh, th- this tension where he's trying to, to create in us a renewed mind 
where we're focused on the things above, on, on the things that matter to God. If, if somebody asked you that, what matters most to God, how would you answer them? What, what would be the things that you would say? These are the kind of things that we have to have some idea of, not just for ourselves, but if we're going to have any influence on the people around us, especially our kids, we've got to know, what are those most important things? And the answers here, you know, for asking, how do we find out what those are? No surprises, okay? This is the point in the sermon that you're expecting, right? This is where I say scripture and prayer, shared life and community, worship, a, a, a purposeful interaction with God and his people is where we continue to find out what are the most important things to God. You know, what we've, uh, my wife and I have found in, in, our, uh, in our family is the place where our girls begin to echo our language the most is either when we're angry, right, or in our prayers. Like when they get mad, we'll hear them say the same things we say when we get mad, which is the scariest thing ever that's ever happened to a parent, right? But then there's also these beautiful moments when you hear in their prayers the, the, the same language that you use in the prayers you pray in front of them. And so we've tried to be very, very purposeful about that language, that that language reflects the most important things. And we hear that reflected in their language. Do they understand it all? Nah, no, not yet. Will they next year or the year after that? No, I'm still understanding it all. But we give them that and they grow into that as they, they learn how to set their minds on the things above. Um, order your life around what's most important. One more passage from Colossians. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay, the idea here is simple. The things that we say, that we believe about Jesus, better be reflected in the things that we do. These things have to match up. We, we can tell what people really believe by the things they do and, 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 and say and are, right? We can tell what's really of value to them. There's, there's lots of ways of doing this, whether it's your, uh, your bank account statement, Right? We talk about that a lot. Go through your bank account statement and see what, if, if I was just a, a third person coming in here and, and, and looking at this, what, what's most important? The way we use our time 
the way we are in relationships. These things have to match up with what we say we believe. Put on kindness. Put on uh, these things that, that Christ is, is, is welling up in us. It, it's got to come across in the way we treat each other in our relationships, right? One quick story here. <coughs> um, several years ago, my wife and I decided that we needed a physical representation of this. Okay, this, this idea that what we said we believed needed to match up with the things in our life. And there was one place in particular that we both felt convicted didn't match up to what we said um, about our family. And that was our living room. Okay? Um, our living room was set up like a pretty normal living room, kind of like this. Rhonda set this up yesterday, you know, kind of this, this fan idea where all the seating was on one side of the room and all of it kind of pointed, uh, if not directly at, in the direction of one thing, which is the TV, right? The TV. That was the centerpiece. Now, when we looked at the room, we said all these things about our family, that, that we were blessed with a house that we wanted to use to host other people. We wanted to have people over. And this was the main room to, to entertain people in, right? And we, we believed about our family that we wanted to be building our relationships together and spending quality time together. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with having your TV in the middle of the room or anything like that. I'm just saying when we looked at that room, we realized that it didn't match up with what we said we wanted our family to do and be. And so we embarked on one of my wife's favorite activities, rearranging furniture, right? She usually does this when I'm gone. <laughs> and I'll, I come back and it just throws my world into uh, asunder for about 30 minutes until I get used to it. Um, we, we made this decision that we were going to change the furniture in the room. We weren't going to take the TV out completely. Instead, what we did is we took it and we moved it into a corner, put it up on a piece of some, you know, I don't know what you call it, some kind of thing that holds stuff, and we put a TV up on top of it. It's in the corner, and then we have got chairs seating on every side of the room so that there are chairs in that room that you would have to physically move or crane your neck uncomfortably to see the television. It's still in the room, but it's not the center. The center is actually a piece of carpet in the middle, but it's, it's, it's the coffee table, right? We're gathered around the coffee table. I got to tell you, it sounds silly. It changed the way we use the room. Almost immediately, we play more games in there with our kids. We sit and have more conversation. We have more people over in there. Are we perfect at it? No, no. Still watch lots of TV in there. I got no problem with that. But it changed that room just because we, we, we wanted to make it physically reflect what we said we believed about our family. The same is true about our lives. We have to find ways to do that. Now, I, I, I apologize to anybody who has to go home and, and move their furniture this afternoon. That's, that wasn't why I said that. That was our thing, right? Get your own thing. Um, it, th this comes from you deciding, right? Spending time talking to each other and saying, what are the most important things? And what's one, one step we need to make to reflect that? 
One, one step. Okay, these things that we're talking about, the, the three of them. Um, knowing your story and telling it. Uh, knowing what's most important and focusing on that. And also ordering your life around those, those most important things. Um, these are just disciplines, right? And, and they're disciplines uh, that are ways of saying that we want how we live our lives to match up with what we say about Jesus. And we want to be a church where that happens. We work towards that. But we also want your home to be a place where that happens. We believe that the kids of the next generation are going to pick up more from what they see and hear from you during the week than they will from us for a couple of hours every Sunday. As we look at these three these three ideas, I just want to leave you with, with three questions. Um, the, the first one being, yeah, go ahead and put those up there, Chris. Uh, what do you love about Jesus? What is important to Jesus? What are the most important things to him? And what's one step you can take in order to order your life around those things? As we enter into a new year, if, if you're reflecting on these questions prayerfully, and with other Christians, I think you're starting off in a good place. You're opening yourself up to growth that God will do in your life. And we look forward to seeing that. All of this, I know, sounds real basic. It sounds almost self-helpy a little bit. Um, there's a reason for that. This is something we do all the time, whether we know it or not. Every morning that we wake up, we make decisions about what story we're going to choose. We make decisions about what's most important and how we're going to order our life around it. We do it without thinking every single day. And all we're asking for is intentionality of turning those decisions back towards Christ. That's the call. Of offering that back to him and allowing him to work in our lives. As, as I said earlier, we are prayerful for this coming year. And so I want us to, to end our time this morning with a prayer. After, after we say this prayer, um, DJ and the, the team are going to lead us in, a, in another song. And there will be people, if you want to pray with somebody, there will be people around the room uh, to pray with. They may approach you to pray as well. We want this to be a time of, of prayer to God. So would you, would you join me? Uh, stand, if you would, as we, as we pray. Father, for Jesus and for all that he is, we cannot be more grateful. Our hearts are, are filled with uh, the mercy and uh, forgiveness and love and compassion that he has poured into us. And we thank you for the ways that you have forgiven us, for the ways that you have freed us from the powers of this world, from things like uh, addiction, uh, and pain, that, that, that we go through those in a different way because of your son. And we pray for this new year. We pray for each person in this room. We pray for our families, that we would see your hand at work, drawing us deeper and deeper into relationship with you and into your work in the world. It's in your son's holy and precious and world-changing name that we pray. Amen.